Hello and welcome to this Safe Lives podcast. Today, Amy Hewitt, a practice advisor on our whole picture practice team, talks to Emily Allison, a behavioural psychologist, about guidance for perpetrators within this COVID-19 crisis. We're here today to discuss um, the issues that we're currently having in society with COVID-19 and how this impacts all of those who are um, affected by domestic abuse. We are recording this over Skype today, so please excuse any technical hitches that we may have or if the sound goes. Um, So in my previous role before I worked at Safe Wives, I was a service manager in Cheshire where I led on a perpetrator programme, which was written by Emily Allison. Um, Emily is a behavioural psychologist and practitioner and has been a clinical supervisor with 20 years experience working with families experiencing domestic abuse. Emily, is there any more that you can tell us about your work over the past um, 20 years? Um, Yes, thanks, Amy. Uh, Thanks very much for asking me to do this podcast, first of all. Um, I've been working for a very long time doing intervention work around domestic abuse, um, and that's been with perpetrators, also supporting victims um, and their capacity to protect themselves and their children, as well as interventions for children and young people, Um, like the Tandem Program, which is for child-to-parent violence to help repair relationships between parents and children. So really all sort of forms of conflict that can go on between families. That's brilliant. Thank you so much. And thank you so much for taking the time to join us today, especially in the absolutely crazy time that we're finding ourselves in. Um, So from my point of view, as soon as all of this started and we were put on lockdown, it immediately felt to me, and I think it's been obvious within the press as well, what are our key concerns when working with families who are experiencing domestic abuse? Could you talk us through what you think these would be during the uh, current coronavirus crisis? I mean, I mean, absolutely. I think one of the more worrying things in the media are reports that Domestic abuse um, calls to services and to the police in particular have actually dropped significantly. Um, I mean, I think it was reported in The Guardian just a few days ago um, around two of the police forces in Wales who've seen around a 30 to 40 percent drop in um, calls to police about domestic abuse incidents. And, you know, you know as well as I do that the current situation in which you know, families are on lockdown and there's so much uncertainty and so much anxiety um, about what's going to happen in the future. It's definitely not a sign that fewer domestic abuse incidents are occurring. Um, It's just that they're not being reported and victims don't feel able to actually call and and ask for help, Um, worried about, you know, where can I go and how can I access services in a time where movement is Mm -hmm. so restricted? Definitely. And not just restricted and monitored by a controlling partner, but quite literally being restricted by the state. Yeah, absolutely. And, and, you know, I think one of the most important points here is that reporting an incident of domestic abuse, um, for somebody to do that when that's happened between they and their partner, that's traumatic enough um, in and of itself. And um, things have to get pretty bad for people to actually 
make that phone call and ask for that help. So um, we kind of know that people often suffer in silence with these issues for a very long time. And now that we're seeing even fewer people prepared to come forward and ask for help, um, you know, my worry is that even when things are escalating to that point where they would normally phone, now they're not. Um, yeah. And that just means increased risk of really serious um, incidents and assaults going unreported. Yeah, it really is. It really is worrying. What do you think the key concerns are for families currently? Well, I think really it's about how to manage this situation in a way that's going to help keep them safe and help um reduce incidents because I, I have to say, and I know, Amy, you're very experienced working with both um, victims of domestic abuse as well as perpetrators. And I think what victims will often say to us is that, you know, they don't necessarily see making that phone call or reporting and having to be kind of rescued into refuge or having to leave the family home, um, even in normal circumstances that are as extreme as what's happening now, they don't see that as a, a positive solution. That's really quite traumatic. So the, I, th I think the, the good thing is that a lot of the strategies that we're asking families to use when we're working with them are things that are still going to be helpful and useful, um, even in, you know, this strange, unusual circumstance where we're all on lockdown and there's these added pressures that people are having to deal with. Um, I mean, I think that's a point worth discussing is thinking about, you know, why is there this escalation in domestic abuse cases um, during the current crisis? And the reasons for that seem pretty obvious, you know, on, on mm -hmm. first glance. Obviously, there's financial pressure due to job loss. Um, or the threat of job loss, creating a lot of anxiety. Um, you've got added pressure on the home environment because all the kids are off school and you don't have the public spaces, the kind of child-friendly activities yeah. or family and friends who can give you that support. Um, all of the normal routines that we that we have and are accustomed to have disappeared. Yeah. Uh, and so that can cause a lot of increased stress and anxiety for people. And I think we do have to talk about the issues of substance misuse and mental health difficulties as well and, and the role that that can play um, in in making things even more complicated and difficult to handle um, yeah. at this time. No, definitely. I think that's a really good point as well in, in terms of, you know, substance misuse may be likely to increase, but then also they are... It, you may also find that people who are dependent on substances haven't got the means to get out there to to get these substances um, and to be able to use them that way. And then that can also increase the pressure that's going on that's going on at home. Yeah, I mean, bizarrely, yeah, even thinking about that as a as a normal routine for someone who's struggling with a exactly. substance issue, if they suddenly don't have access to that, um, and I think it's it's similar for our clients who have mental health difficulties and who might have had a network of 
professionals and support around them, um, you know, um, prior to this. And now suddenly all of that has disappeared or been altered very significantly. So I think it's totally understandable that in these in these circumstances, people are going to feel more isolated, more anxious, more depressed as the this situation continues day after day and and with no real definitive end in sight definitely and it, it's it's just everything is sounding so negative and I know when I think back to my previous struggles with mental health some of my coping mechanisms are completely unusable right now so previously I would have gone for a walk got some fresh air seen some friends and socialized seen my mum who's a great support to me and as you say we can't use all these coping strategies so what do you think that people can do to try and cope within this situation especially when we're considering domestic abuse yeah I think I think um part of this is you're right the 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 terrain has changed for everybody and those mechanisms rather than you know us kind of focusing on the negative of how those things have have disappeared for us and and feeling like they've left you really vulnerable um this is a also a time for real reflection and evaluation of what else can i do you know myself independently what can i come up with that can actually help me cope um so i think what, well, whilst one of the things that's really important to me is not to put pressure on victims of domestic abuse in this situation, um, you know, and this is one of the issues I've got with all the media attention on the reductions in reporting, yeah. um, and that it's not it's not necessarily that reporting was solving things for people anyway, and that's not for me to diminish. Um, the importance of of reporting abuse when you're experiencing it, you know, that's incredibly important. But in terms of it being a long term solution to that problem, I think, you know, um, you and I could both think back to, to many cases and many service users who would say this this wasn't the solution for me. This isn't what actually fixed it and made it stop. So so for me, it's more thinking, well, what would actually fix it and make it stop. And I think part of this has to be focusing on the person who's causing the harm. Um, so the perpetrator. So if if you're not very good at managing conflict between you and your partner um, and not very capable of dealing with emotions like anger, frustration, um, upset, and you know that about yourself, then then this is a time to really reflect on that and think about what you can do to improve that. Um, and I think that's really important is that people who are struggling with that feel that this isn't a time to hide those issues. This is a time to sort them out. Yeah. Um, you know, if if your home is meant to be a place that you can shelter that you should feel safe um, and that should be com comforting to be there. And instead, your home feels difficult, stressful, um, or even frightening, then then that is telling you there's there's something that you need to fix. There's something that you need to address there. Yeah, no, definitely. And I think that was when this first started, that was my first worrying thought was, 
initially what about these people that are victims of domestic abuse we're saying that you know stay safe stay at home that isn't always the safest place to be um and you can feel like you're walking on eggshells being in this constant state of anxiety and I think for myself thinking back to when I was the lead for perpetrator work and I know we are going to touch upon these sorts of strategies and techniques that we can use but the first thing we ever went through that safety net strategy was of removing yourself from a situation and again from a perpetrator's point of view it's very difficult in this current climate to be able to physically remove yourself from a situation due to the restrictions that are being placed upon us and um for for me doing both victim and perpetrator work I have been looking at it from both sides and it is a concerning time yeah absolutely I I really do agree and I think you know it's 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 for us to basically support people putting that safety net measure in for themselves um and you know that's our kind of initial stage of working with people is to try and get them to use this kind of strategy of of walking away from conflict when it's escalating, of taking themselves away from a situation when it's getting overwhelming. Um, And you're right, you know, that's really difficult in this circumstance. And I do have to say, it does remind me of some of the child-to-parent violence cases that I've worked with, um, where obviously, you know, if you're having an argument with your eight-year-old at bedtime, you can't your your eight-year-old's not going to go on time out by walking around the block at you know (laughs) at night so you know it's it's that sort of situation where they can't Mm -hmm. leave but you have to be able to remove yourself from it and calm down and I said I remember working with a mum of four four boys she had all under the age of 10 um yeah (laughs) two up two down property Um, And they were just all on top of each other. And the way she described it, she said, basically, when they fight, they tear the house apart, they smash furniture, they, they basically, you know, just are bringing the place down to its foundations, and I don't know what to do about it. And so we put this system in place where each person had a safe place to retreat to. So the family had to agree it beforehand, and it was each person would say, you know, this is where if I go here and I'm in this space, then you need to not bother me, speak to me, hassle me for at least half an hour. You need to just let me be in that space and calm down so that I can come back to whatever the situation is that we're trying to deal with. Um, and so she and the boys came up with their own, their own individual spaces around the house. Um, and hers was the understairs cupboard, um, which she decorated with fairy lights. And it was like, you know, mum's retreats on That's the door. Brilliant. And I know it sounds ridiculous, but she basically said, you know, when I get overwhelmed I, and I shut myself in here, it's this little oasis where I can just like find my headspace again and she said I know it seems ridiculous for me to be doing that but then at least I can deal with it once I come back to it so definitely part of this is having to be having to be creative but also having to be upfront. Um, yes. I think maybe that's one of the major issues for me is when people aren't ready to admit that their behavior is a problem or that they need to do something about it 
then that's really difficult to address. Um, but that's when I say, you know, this if this time gives us anything, it's a, it's a sense of perspective. Um, mm. And if you don't feel happy at home or happy in your relationship, um, and actually your behavior makes your partner or children feel frightened or distressed, um, then then this is a time to to own that and do something about it. Yeah. Definitely. And I like, you know, we mentioned how moving away from the whole victims calling for help or victims calling out domestic abuse and moving towards being able to recognise your own behaviour towards others. And if we were talking to people, like if there's someone listening right now who does have issues with domestic abuse and they don't know what to do to manage it, do you have like strategies and techniques that we can go through that would that would help? Yeah, I think the one that we will go through today, um, and we're also going to have a link to this, um, you know, below the podcast link so that people can go back and kind of look at it in, in more detail, is is our use of time out. But this is kind of time out during lockdown, um, yeah. which is not, not exactly our, our normal circumstance. Um, so that's got a number of steps. We call it the sort of five R's. Um, of time out. And basically, the very first step is recognize that you're reaching a stage where you're getting too worked up, you're getting too frustrated, too angry. Um, and being able to sort of pick up on those cues that your body and also your headspace is in that tell you this isn't actually headed anywhere good. Um, so that might be like things that your thoughts that you're actually having about your partner or children, like they're driving me mad. I want to lock them all in their rooms in a minute if they don't stop. Or why does she do that to me? She knows it drives me crazy. She's trying to wind me up on purpose. Um, and all those sorts of thoughts, you know, those are headed you in the direction of an argument or conflict with your partner, with your children. Um, it might even be, paying attention to the more physical signs. So things like feeling your heart race or your chest tighten up or clenching your teeth or your fists. Um, these are signals that your body is giving you that, you know, you're, you're entering that negative headspace um, and you're struggling. Your body's basically trying to contain that emotion. So, so our advice then is if you recognize that and you know you're having that kind of reaction, then it's like a freight train that's yeah. just rolling forward to an inevitable conclusion. So you've got to make a conscious effort to say, okay, I can tell I'm winding myself up um, and I've got, I'm going to have to stop. I've got to remove myself from whatever's going on and try and contain this and get it under control. And that's our responsibility really as adults is to, manage that those emotions it's totally normal and natural to feel frustrated upset overwhelmed um but it's not okay to then take those emotions out on other people around us especially the people that we're supposed to love and look after the most so it's absolutely fine and understandable to have those emotions but we've kind of got to own that as adults and then take it away and, and deal with it in a way that's more constructive. 
So the first R is basically recognize. Recognize the signals in yourself. The second R is referee, which is what are you going to actually say that says to everybody, I'm going to go calm down. Yeah. And if you recognize it in yourself before there's been any sort of conflict, you might just referee yourself, which is basically that you're saying, you know, time out, um, stop, put, put the brakes on. Um, I've got to go calm down and how you're going to actually communicate that to your family. So we would say like, if someone's in an argument with you, imagine you're having an actual argument with somebody and they just suddenly walk off. I mean, what's your natural mm. reaction if somebody just walks off from you, you know, in the middle of an argument I'd, to be annoyed and follow them. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, you know, I'm mum to a 16 year old and, um, if he he'll do this to me where he'll suddenly say in the middle of an argument, mum, mum, I'm getting too worked up. I need to go calm down. And the strength it takes for me to say, <laughs> OK, that's fine. Uh, and sort of turn away from that discussion and just leave it is so hard. And it's only because I know what he's doing because I've taught him that since he was little. Um, so part of this is if you're going to use these strategies, you kind of need to discuss them before you're in the middle of an argument. Yeah. Because otherwise, the other person just thinks you're just walking away. You're just ignoring them. Mm -hmm. um, whereas if everybody understands, OK, you know, we are going to come back to it, but not like this because this isn't helpful. This isn't constructive. Um, then people are better able to manage that. It's still hard, but it's what you've got to do. So this. First point is recognize your signals. The second point is referee. How are you going to say, I need a break? Um, and then take yourself away. Now, this is the toughest one, given the circumstance that we're in. Yeah. So this is one that's really difficult to deal with at the moment. And I know I talked about um, the mom with her four boys and sort of, you know, putting herself in the understairs cupboard. Well, I know I couldn't put myself in my understairs cupboard because there's too much junk in it at the moment. <laughs> but it is putting a bit of conscious thought into thinking, where are my safe places of retreat? Um, and if that is going to the only room in the house that locks and that's the toilet, then that might be the place that you have to go to. If that is a shed that you've got at the bottom of the garden, um, then that might be where you have to go. But have a number of these places where you can actually exit, retreat, get some alone time to just contain yourself and, and get control of the reaction that you're having. Um, so I think it's really important that you don't just have one of those because for whatever reason, that might not be possible. Somebody's in the shower or whatever. Um, have a few um, and know where they are before you're in the middle of an argument. Um, now, the next bit is, well, what do you do once you're in the garden shed at, you know, the bottom of the garden? Um, what you need to do there is not what a lot of people do. I mean, after you have an argument with somebody, like, what's the normal thing that where your head goes? Oh, for me, it's think about the argument and think about better responses that I could have come up with that were probably more sarcastic and cleverer than what I came up with but it's almost like that reeling on the argument winding yourself up more 
Yeah, and kind of thinking, oh, I should have said that. Yeah. Um, should have done this. And, like, because your, your brain is still carrying on in that same direction. And this is, like, a conscious effort where you're saying, I am not going to that destination. Yeah. Because I know what's there. And what's there is a whole load of drama and a whole load of conflict and, and a whole load of possible consequences that I don't want. I do not want to make my home somewhere that is scary, unsafe, um, and unpleasant to be. I want to make it somewhere that is is about, you know, being a safe haven. So if you're going to do that, you've got to properly put the brakes on all that thinking. So what we advise is a sort of two-pronged strategy. The first thing is you've got a load of chemicals racing around your system when you have that emotional surge. So all the kind of stress hormones, adrenaline, cortisol, running through your bloodstream. And the only way to burn that out is really through something physical. Um, so that might be press-ups, that might be star jumps, whatever, whatever it is. But l I know it sounds ridiculous that you're now in the garden shed doing press-ups. Um, but if that's going to calm you down and that's going to protect your partner and children from conflict from having abuse at your hands, then that is what you do. Um, so I, we advise something physical um, and that the physical activity should not be something that mimics violence. So some people have said, oh, well, what if I have a punch bag at the bottom of the garden? That's fine. If what you're doing when you're punching that bag is thinking about punching that bag but if what you're doing is thinking about punching the person you just had the argument with yeah that's not okay because that's taking you back to that negative headspace um so something physical first and then the second thing is reflect on what just happened um what's your goal with where that conversation was going because a lot of the arguments that we can have with people close to us sometimes they are the most dramatic important issues and sometimes they are the most trivial little things that when we look back on it we think that didn't even really matter mm -hmm. you know down to how the dishwasher gets loaded or who you know why there's laundry still on the steps that nobody's brought upstairs all the way to really difficult complex things that families are having to deal with you know around extended family around illness around you know difficult decisions that you might have have to be making um around finances etc so but actually think what's my goal here what am i wanting to achieve with this behavior um and if it's if the goal is to frighten somebody in your family into doing what you want them to do is that the way you really want to behave mm. you know that the, the way you want to make people do what you want is by having them be afraid of you. So it's it's got to be more about being able to explain your position, accept and listen to what the other person has to say, um, and then think, well, what am I prepared to give up? Like, do I really care about the way the dishwasher gets loaded? Does it really matter that much that I'm prepared to frighten or assault my partner over it? Um so part of it is just getting a check on yourself, you know, um, what's your goal in this whole interaction? And then once you've done that, that's your final R is return. So at some point you need to go back. Um, and 
what we normally say is we call it ring and return. Um, <laughs> ringing from the garden shed or from the toilet might seem a bit ridiculous, um, but you're kind of letting your partner know, I'm going to come out of this space now and I'm okay, I'm calm. Mm -hmm. And the reason that you do that is so that they don't sit there waiting, thinking, what are you going to be like when you come yeah. out? Are you going to be worse? Are you going to have, you know, uh, taken a six pack, a lager with you when you went to the shed and now you're actually going to be drunk when you come back? It's a bit of reassurance to say, um, I'm calm now. I'm okay. Are you? And we're both okay to come back and talk about it. And if you decide, do you know what? I'm really sorry and I uh, shouldn't have even started the argument in the first place, then that's what you say. You just let it go. Um, or if you think, actually, we do have to discuss this issue, then at least you've taken that time away to think about what you want to say. Um, if it kicks off again, we say you leave again and you keep doing it until things are calmed down. Because at the end of the day, if you're not there, you can't make it worse. Yeah, which is the ultimate, really, isn't it? That's that's what we're trying to convey. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, and I know that puts a lot of responsibility on a person who's struggling and might be struggling for a lot of different reasons with their emotions, um, you know, with with how they behave towards their partner and might have a lot of conflicting feelings about that. But what we're saying is it's it's worth the effort and you are capable of doing it. So don't put it on your partner that it's about them having to phone the police. Mm -hmm. This is about you managing yourself before they even have to think about that. Yeah. And I think that's a better solution for everybody. And certainly, you know, whether it's victims, whether it's perpetrators that we talk to, the vast majority of them want it to stop. They yeah. don't want their relationship to feel like that. So I think, you know, it's reminding yourself, I don't want things to be like this. So am I doing everything that I can to try and improve things and make things more positive? That's brilliant. Thank you, Emily. Are there any like last messages that you'd like to give? I think the last one, and this is slightly controversial, but I'm going to say it anyway. <laughs> uh, you know me, Amy. <laughs> um, this is such a difficult circumstance, unprecedented. No one who is alive on this planet has ever been through anything like this before. Um, and it's worth remembering that. It's worth remembering that when things get overwhelming and when things get difficult and when things escalate, um, this is this is a unique circumstance that everybody's having to deal with. So forgive yourself when you get it wrong, but own it and do better the next time. Um, and I, I really think that's important. And the other thing I would say is in terms of as a last note, in terms of the government guidelines that are there to stop the spread of this virus and to keep us all safe, they're there to do exactly that. But they're not there to then trap someone in a situation where they are at risk of harm to themselves, harm to their children, um, or loss of their own life. So if you feel unsafe or you feel that your children are unsafe in the situation that they're in, then 
you need to break that guideline to correct it. So whether that is that you need to go to a family member where you can be safe, whether you need to contact services or leave your home, um, even though you know you're not supposed to, you've already been out for your one time in the day, it, it doesn't matter if you're doing that because you have to do that to keep yourself safe. Um, so there are parameters here where people's safety takes takes precedent um and and so i think for me it's don't ever forget that you're you're not trapped you can get help services are still there they will still respond um when you when you absolutely need them you need to use them that's brilliant thank you so much emily and just to echo what emily said there don't be afraid to ask for help if you are a victim of abuse or if you're worried about your own behavior don't be afraid to ask for help. There's a multitude of resources on the Safe Lives website that you can um, access. We've got numbers for confidential support lines. And if you'd like to download um, the guide uh, to taking time out during lockdown, then that will be made available um, on the link with this podcast. And Emily and I are going to be doing another podcast for frontline professionals who are supporting families experiencing domestic abuse, which will include links to practical exercises and resources that you can use to support the families that you're working with to manage risk during this difficult and challenging time um thanks again emily that was brilliant thank you thank you